Welcome to Beyond Carbon, the podcast where we find out how investors are thinking about climate change, sustainability, ESG, and a whole range of related issues beyond carbon. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, this is George, and we've got Chris with us today. Hey, George. And we're really excited. This is our, our first guest, and uh, we are so excited and honored to have Cornelia Horner, who is uh, the Strategic Initiatives and Communications Lead at Uvimco, which is the University of Virginia Investment Management Company, their endowment. She's really the point person for a lot of their ESG work and their net zero commitment. And uh, it was great to have her on to kick off this series. Yeah. And you know, George, I think what's really interesting is that her background, right, is not in investments. It's in public policy and communications. So she has an opportunity to view the endowment or endowment investing through perhaps a, a different lens than the rest of us might view it. And so I think that today's discussion, right, touches on their journey to sustainability, addressing topics like ESG integration, what they're doing around net zero, and also uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I, I think it's going to be um, an exciting and uh, an interesting listen. Yeah, it was a great conversation. And yeah, to your point, I mean, it's it's one of the uh, interesting things about endowments, right? Is they're not only looking at the investments, but they can't ignore the fact that they're in the real world. And they have all kinds of stakeholders and students and alumni and all these factors. So we get into to all of that a bit and sort of the stakeholder engagement process and governance process. And yeah, I think just a really great kind of candid conversation about an endowment that's moving forward, making some commitments, like uh, no one's got it all figured out. And so we get into that a bit too, but um, really, really working to engage with the whole field and, and move these ideas forward. So it's exciting. Yeah. So enjoy it. Uh, we're really excited to kick this one off. And uh, we've got a great lineup of uh, future speakers to follow this one on. But uh, today, enjoy our conversation with Cornelia. And we'll take it away. Hi, Cornelia. So thanks for joining us today on our second episode of Beyond Carbon. And, you know, we thought it was appropriate to have you on sort of as our first guest. Now, no pressure. Um, given that UVA is is a top 10 public university and, you know, Uvimco has historically been an, uh, an organization with a history of top quartile investment performance. And now you've started down the path of responsible investing. And so, you know, we thought it would be a good opportunity for you to share with us sort of the story of, of your journey and maybe explaining to the audience the whys, the hows, you know, some of the successes, but also maybe some of the challenges that you're facing and uh, maybe help uh, others who might be grappling with, with similar issues. So happy you could uh, take the time to join us. Yeah, thanks so much, Cornelia. It's great to have you here. Yeah, just to kick it off, we'd love to hear sort of on the personal note a little bit about your journey of how you came to, to be at UVMCO. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me here today. I'm excited to kind of talk about our sustainability journey. My journey has definitely not been a straight path to UVMCO, to say the least, or to the investment industry. So I also went to the University of Virginia. Well, I grew up in Charlottesville, a townie, as they like to say, um, went to the University of Virginia degree in English. I graduated in 2008, right you know, before the financial crisis hit and decided it was wise to move to New York City with some friends who um, were in the finance industry. And I ended up working in the fashion industry of all things, um, doing public relations there for about a year and decided that the city wasn't kind of my long-term path. 
And so I moved to Washington, D.C. and focused on public affairs for some different um, public affairs firms that have large corporations as their clients and ended up really focusing on ESG um, and climate issues, particularly kind of in the public policy lobbying space um, and really, really became interested in that focus area and found myself at Uvimco in a very kind of ESG focused role. Um, And it was really neat kind of seeing the whole ecosystem of you, if you will, from the company side to the trade association side to the investment industry side, and really just learning more about what everyone is doing in the ESG space. Right. So that's really interesting that you came to Uvimco without any kind of investment or asset management background. And can you talk a little bit about sort of how you've sort of both sort of taught them as well as how much they've taught you about what it's like to run an endowment? And what was that experience like when you first sort of jumped in? Yeah, it was definitely interesting. Um, It's been a steep learning curve to understand both the investment industry and then the endowment space, which is obviously very unique within the investment industry, and particularly how we invest mostly indirectly through external managers. So there's just a, a lot to learn, and I'm still learning today. But I think what I was able to bring to the table was kind of the skill set of how we look at ESG, um, how we can invest responsibly, because I was coming at it from, you know, the trade association side where we were helping clients with that very same issue. Um, And so what's great about the ESG skill set is it can be applied kind of across industries. So I was able to bring that to the table and then just try to figure out the nuances of how to apply it at the endowment level. And I was also, I think, able to bring really kind of the stakeholder engagement aspect to the table. I was I worked with a lot of different types of stakeholders um, in my earlier positions, and it really helped me kind of engage more with alumni and with students, with leaders from UVA and from other endowments. And so I think that was really, really helped me kind of get up to speed quickly and engage on these issues. Yeah. Well, you know, just to sort of dig into that a little bit further, you know, you guys have been you know, one of the first really public universities to commit to having a responsible investment framework, but also made a public commitment to net zero. And and maybe you can just give a little color on, you know, how that all materialized and maybe, you know, give the audience a sense of where you guys are in that process. Yeah, of course. So when I joined Uvimco in June of 2021, we launched the Advisory Committee on Investor Responsibility And that was created to provide a channel between UVA student, faculty, alumni, leadership, and UVMCO, and really give advice on appropriate actions regarding ESG investment issues and activities. Um, So there's seven members on on the committee, and as I said, made up of UVA members and UVMCO members. And really the first issue that everyone wanted to address was climate, um, because it's top of mind for everyone. It's obviously the most pressing issue of our time. And um, our students and our alumni base are really interested in how UVMCO was thinking about climate and its investments. And so the ACR spent about eight months doing a lot of research with a primary focus on what the difference is between divesting from fossil fuels and engaging with our managers who then engage with their portfolio companies. And where we landed was that not only the most effective approach, but the best approach for UVMCO and the way we're set up was engagement with our managers. 
And so ultimately, we ended up publishing an investor responsibility framework. And within that, it just lays out our overall kind of more holistic approach. So we have ESG integration, which is how we uh, review recommended managers and how they approach ESG issues. We have a net zero by 2050 commitment, which you alluded to, which is really just to put kind of our big ambition and our pledge out there that we believe in climate change. Um, we know it's real. We know it's caused by humans and trying to figure out how we can do our part and what that looks like as an institutional investor. And then number three were fossil fuel investment principles, where we really felt like our fossil fuel investments required an additional kind of layer of review based on our conversations with students and alumni. And so it was kind of a way to make sure that our direct investments were meeting a certain sustainability bar and then sharing those with our managers who are invested in traditional energy so that they can understand what UVMCO's values are and, and the things that we're looking at in our direct investments. And then finally, it was manager engagement. So just making sure that we're taking a more active role with our managers who are investing on our behalf and making sure that they're thinking about the same things that we've been thinking about. That's great. I know you're all just kind of a few months into this, but how's it been going so far and kind of what have been some of the early focus areas as you look to implement the framework? Is it mostly talking to managers at this point and having those conversations? Yeah. So I'd say our first follow-up from releasing the framework, well, we released our our first annual investor responsibility report that really reiterated kind of what was in the framework, but we also were able to take an additional look at our positive impact uh, investment areas. And that was really interesting for us to not only just kind of focus on um, reviewing ESG risks and opportunities and and focus on how we're treating our um, traditional energy investments, but like where are we investing in areas that not only make great returns, but have positive impact. And so that was a really neat kind of exercise to go through and look forward to doing that for our next report. But really the next kind of meaningful step we took was releasing an investor responsibility survey that we sent to all of our managers and getting answers back on ESG and climate, diversity, equity, inclusion, um, and getting just a better understanding of where our managers stand on everything. And then with mm -hmm. that information, um, the next steps are kind of figuring out managers that make sense to have kind of more in-depth conversations with on those mm -hmm. topics based on the survey results. We've also started to implement and are implementing ESG integration. So now in our investment committee meetings, uh, as a part of reviewing recommended managers, we sit down and talk about how the manager views ESG. Um, so that part has been extremely successful. I think once we kind of got that up and off the ground, I'd say for me, I think the biggest challenge is net zero, but shouldn't surprise anyone listening. I think net zero is just a large challenge for everyone who's trying to figure out how to meet their commitments, endowments included. And I've spent kind of the majority of my time the last eight months researching Mm -hmm. and what we're supposed to do next. Yeah. And it's and for our listeners, um, the Intentional Endowments Network, we have a net zero endowments initiative and steering committee. And, and Cornelia has been participating in that with several other endowments and managers and consultants as we all sort of work together to answer some of these these tricky questions and, and working with some of the other groups that are sort of helping to create these frameworks and standards. So it's been fascinating, but definitely challenging and, and complex. But that's really exciting. I'm just curious, how is the managers, was that fairly well received? I know managers are getting a lot of these questions and more and more and having to report to different groups. Um, was there some fatigue there? Are they, for the most part, pretty responsive and getting more used to all these topics or was it a mixed bag? Yeah, I think it was well received. I think we had about an 80% response rate, which was actually higher than I expected, mm -hmm. um, especially everything going on in the markets right now. I know a lot of people's mm -hmm. focus are are on that. Um, I would say that 
there is a wide spectrum of how our managers are addressing these issues. Um, and you can also see that across asset classes as well. So yeah, I was going to ask, is there generally some asset classes where it was more advanced responsive compared to others? Yeah, I would say interestingly, or not surprisingly, maybe even our resources managers, mm-hmm. they are very focused on their ESG policies and how they interact with their portfolio companies. But that makes sense because of the work that they do, um, the work that their portfolio companies do, and and kind of the focus has been there for for longer than on some other industries. But I was really pleased with the response rate. And, and we had some follow-up conversations with some of our managers who just wanted to have the conversations in, in more detail. And those were really insightful as well. That's great. So Cornelia, another big issue that a lot of the endowments in our network uh, and across the field have been focusing on are issues around diversity, equity, and inclusion in the investment process, both in terms of diverse managers and also how these issues kind of show up throughout the investment process. So I know Yvimco has been, been thinking about that like many others. I wonder if you could just share a little bit about you know how you've been approaching it. No, definitely. Um, diversity in the investment industry, I mean, just like everywhere, is extremely important, but there has been a you know increasing focus on the lack of diversity in our industry and kind of the lack of improvement over the years. And so it's a core focus of Uvemco's both from an internal team perspective, you know, board level perspective, and then on the portfolio level as well, you know, diverse owned, um, women owned or minority owned managers. And so we spent kind of the, over the summer really taking a look at the number of women and minority owned managers in our portfolio, taking a look at how our managers just generally review their diversity, equity, inclusion policies and practices diversity of their investment teams, and just making sure that we're getting minority and women-owned managers in our funnel of recommended prospective managers. And we've also done really cool things like we're helping underrepresented students have access to Uvemco and learn more about the investment industry so that they kind of get those first introduction into our industry, what kind of career paths they can take learn certain skill sets and really try to look kind of down the pipeline at getting more underrepresented individuals into the investment industry kind of earlier on, whether that looks like going into work at a place like Evimco and endowment or becoming, you know, a manager down the road. So we try to take really a kind of a broad look at diversity in the industry. That's great. Yeah, no, I think it's right for you. you know, when you're thinking about a responsible investment strategy, everybody tends to think about climate being sort of first and foremost, but there's more to it than climate, right, George? I mean, it's beyond carbon. So that's, uh, I think, apropos. Absolutely. And these issues are all interconnected too. And I think that there's become a realization amongst investors that the the issues are interrelated, right? And the acknowledgement that climate change disproportionately impacts marginalized communities. There are, there are gender issues involved as well. So I think that the, you know those issues are, are certainly connected. You know, Cornelia, I wanted to go back, unpack a little bit more when you mentioned a lot of the challenges are around net zero. And, you know, one of the things that we're sensing with a lot of investors is that they're struggling with decision-making because of data quality or lack of confidence in data, particularly the data that companies report on carbon emissions or some of the estimates and modeling that third-party providers are providing. And can you talk a little bit about some of the work that you might have done in this area to try to you know, do some of that measurement in your own assessment of sort of the data quality at this point? Yeah, definitely. No, I think that's one of our number one obstacles. Again, like you mentioned, like a lot of other 
investors, but it's the data quality. And so, you know, our big next step with net zero is trying to figure out if we could measure our portfolio. And what we've done is measure the public side. And we used MSCI's ESG manager to really give us kind of some key metrics to understand, you know, our overall emissions footprint. They do that with public companies and then they use proxy for the private companies and give us carbon intensity metrics just to kind of understand what our exposure is to high carbon companies and industries. And so it's almost like we've done one half of our portfolio, but we haven't been able to really do the second half. And the trouble is, is that, you know, private companies aren't really reporting their emissions data. And so what happens is, is that you have model data, which can be done in in a whole variety of ways, but there's going to be a margin of error. And so why, or should we measure that knowing that it's not accurate? You know, how do we use that information knowing it's not accurate? And I think that's where we're really stuck right now is what makes sense to kind of just go ahead and measure the portfolio footprint, knowing that that's the case and take it with a grain of salt and figure out how to use that data? Or do you wait and you kind of see what happens with the SEC regulations with public companies and see if that kind of rolls on to then private companies following suit and wait for the data quality to get better and then measure it? So I think that's a really large hurdle for not only us, but for other endowments. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious on the data piece too. Another big element of that is the concept of scope three emissions. And you know, for our listeners who might not be familiar with the carbon accounting of scope one, two, and three emissions, um, scope three emissions are basically those indirect emissions that a company's activities might drive, whether it's in the supply chain or in the use of their products. That MSCI data you mentioned, is that factoring in scope three data at all? Or is it kind of just focus on one and two for now and then tackling that challenge down the road? You know, they primarily focus on scope one and two. I don't think their current calculator even looks at scope three. Mm -hmm. And I would say to, you know, all the ESG experts out there to plug your ears, because I think (laughs) that scope three really is kind of a, you know, a sticky topic, if you will. You know, you think about asking companies to be responsible for reducing their emissions, scope one and two. But then when you think about it for scope three, it's just a really, that's a societal conversation, right? It's, it's, can consumers stop using, you know, your product or what does that look like in the real world? I just think it's such an interesting conversation to focus on scope three. Yeah, it really is. And it's because it is very tricky and challenging. And at the same time, it's where a lot of the emissions or avoided emissions are with different companies because, and you can have positive and negative scope three emissions too, right? So looking at clean energy companies that might have some carbon footprint associated with their operations, but if they're manufacturing wind turbines and helping to drive that shift, you know, how do you account for that too? I think it's important to account for that, but not easy. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. You know, a lot of this is about should those companies be responsible for their supply chains? Right. There are no right or wrong answers like to to a lot of these questions. Well, I think it's so fascinating about the work that um, groups like Uvimco and other endowments and large asset owners are doing is because because you're taking a portfolio perspective and you've got, you know, one company's scope three emissions or another company's or, you know, end users scope one or two emissions. And uh, if you're invested in all of them, you have a, a more vested interest in, you know, kind of looking at the, the big picture and the whole system. So, you know, Cornelia, I mean, knowing what you know now, right? Given the experience that that you've had, is there any advice maybe that you would give to other endowments who are looking to go down this journey and maybe are just starting out today or who may be at a point where Uvimco was 
uh, let's say 18 months or, or two years ago? Is there any pearls of wisdom you you might want to share with those folks? I don't know if I'd say pearls of wisdom, but I would say don't let the current obstacles deter you from making a commitment. I'm still really glad that we've made this commitment, even knowing that there are kind of large hurdles ahead of us. But I think if you kind of focus more on the actions that you can do. So for us, again, that's like the manager engagement and the ESG integration and looking at it through that lens, like we'll make progress no matter what. So don't let some of the bigger kind of scary obstacles stop you from moving forward. Um, And then I would just also note that there's so many great resources out there again, just like FFI and IEN and your peers, there are people out there who are in this. Um, And I think the more that we talk to each other, the better it gets in just sharing the knowledge and information that everyone's experiencing and figuring out the best path forward. I think those are two such important points. And um, obviously on the, the latter, that's a lot of what we focus on and, and think it's helpful. But uh, on the former, just in terms of making that commitment, you know, I think the signal that institutions can send in doing so is so powerful. Yeah, I know there's sometimes a, a hesitancy to say, well, we don't know exactly how we're going to get there. So how can we commit to this? But um I think doing so and just saying that's where we need to get scientifically. So let's make that commitment and then figure out how sends a really powerful signal. And, you know, as you say, the work you're doing with managers translates into how they're engaging with portfolio companies and how they're thinking about these issues and prioritizing them. So I think that's really great and powerful. Yeah, no, I I agree with you, George. I mean, some of the responses that we've gotten from talking with others who have made a commitment feel like perhaps they've gotten out over their skis a little bit by making the commitment and now having to sort of figure out, okay, how do we do that implementation? But I agree with both of you that showing some leadership and and taking a stand to say, look, this is important. We want to be consistent with where the world needs to be. You know, there are different ways to get there, right? There's not one path that's going to work for everyone. And it takes time and a lot of thoughtful deliberation to figure out what path works best for for that organization. So Mm -hmm. I think too, this is like stating the obvious. And honestly, you have may have given me this pearl of wisdom, Chris, so I'm repeating (laughs) it back to you. But and you know, another way of thinking about it is it's like, it's taking a bet on the future, Mm -hmm. right? So if you believe that we are moving in the direction of decarbonizing the economy and you believe that you know our government is going to you know help regulate some of this and that companies are finally understanding that this is something that they need to do and you have all these exciting climate solutions that are just gaining momentum it's really just taking a bet on the future and kind of figuring out what your role is and helping it move forward and so when you i feel like when you frame it like that it just is more clear that it's the way forward you know our future yeah, so it's a- Hopefully that makes it a little It's a scary. great point. And, and I mean, I always find it interesting. I mean, what's the flip side of that bet, right? If you're betting on the other side, you're essentially betting on kind of climate catastrophe and breakdown and a whole lot of uh, loss of value in your portfolio and other unthinkable things that impacts the humanity. So it's, if those are your two choices, I think most people would, would take the bet to figure out what's how to figure out how to address this and reduce those risks and create a better way of doing things. Are there any other factors of the work that you all are doing that you wanted to to share or make sure we got got into before we wrap up? I would say, I mean, I think that mostly covers it, but one other just key part of what we're doing is our, again, our broader stakeholder engagement. I know we'd like, we obviously have touched a little bit on that, but just thankful that, you know, we are, you know, at a university where we can talk to our students, talk to our alumni, talk to leadership and, you know, keep in mind that our 
primary duty is our fiduciary responsibility, but also understand that we can do this in a responsible way and just get really expert advice from across all these different generations and people coming from all these different backgrounds. And that's just been really beneficial to make sure we're not doing this alone and just appreciative of all of the support and uh, input along the way. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. And you mentioned the you know advisory committee on investor responsibility and the student involvement there. What is sort of the tenor of student voice on these topics at UVA? Is there a big divestment movement or activist kind of students pushing on this? Or is there a range of student opinions? How is it sort of playing out I'd on campus? I'd say there's a range of student opinions. We definitely have activism. There's a divest UVA group that's kind of front and center there's a Wahoos for Sustainability group that's an alumni group um, that has divestment as a component of their kind of larger framework and requests. But you also get other students who really want to get into kind of the nuances, again, of, you know, the investment industry and investing responsibly and knowing mm-hmm. that that's not always, that divestment isn't always the answer. So you kind of have that that large range and we try to engage with all of the different groups. That's great. Yeah, no, it is a a fascinating, exciting, and I think, you know, powerful piece of just working in the higher ed sector. You know, we love it working with our members because, uh, like you say, there's a lot that can be learned from, you know, the experts on campus, the professors, the researchers, alumni that have a lot of expertise in all this, and the students that have really important perspectives on on the future and what needs to be done. Well, that was really terrific, Cornelia. I appreciate, again, really appreciate you taking the time and and going through your journey. And I think it was really instructive for our, our listeners to understand that, you know, there are successes and, and challenges to be had. And um, again, thanks for the time and, and really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much, Cornelia. Great to chat. Great to see you as always. I'm looking forward to continuing to work together on this stuff. Yeah. Great. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Best of luck, Cornelia. Bye-bye.